Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Platform Musicians. Amen. Uh, before we get into the preaching the Word of God, uh, as you know, uh, each month we do, uh, uh, as a church, amen, uh, uh, a few months ago started, uh, you know, just uh, believing God and contending uh, with each other's prayers, amen, uh, back there. And so, uh, again, a part of that was to build continuity between the congregation, I mean, and, and, and you know, and begin to really connect with each other and begin to really contend for God uh, for each other's needs. And so we do have a uh, praise report uh, from our sister uh, Diane. Y'all come give her a hand. Amen. Hello. So uh, a couple months ago, our youngest son um, had left the job that he had been working to get to take another job that was providing better pay and that was closer to home and, and better benefits and stuff. Then he, it was going very well for quite a while, um, and then it was a couple months ago that he he lost that job, um, and so they were left with no income at all. So God has was providing for them, but they were struggling, and so we had put him on the prayer list and asked for you know God to help him get a job and to find something that was going to provide for their needs. Um, and he he'd been looking, he'd been doing odd jobs, and was struggling to find something. Well, he contacted his old employer who typically does not rehire. Once you've quit, they typically won't rehire you. That's it. You've left. You're gone. In this case, they took him back. He started today. Go back to it. At, almost at where he was before, but definitely with the, still the ability to raise up. So I just want to thank God that he provided for them all this time, but also that he gave them a jog back so he can provide for his family. Amen. Pray God. I'm ready for some good preaching. Amen. Amen. Y'all give Pastor Nickerson a warm welcome as he come up. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Howard. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Years ago, my wife had a poster. It's probably very familiar. You guys may have seen it or, or uh, unless they've got it out of circulation. It had this, this poster of this very, very cute ginger tiger-striped kitten holding on to this limb by like one claw. And the motto on this poster uh, at the bottom was, let go and let God. Let go and let God. Tonight I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, Hope for the Hurting Heart. Now, the scripture I'm using is, is a bit unorthodox for this topic, but you're going to see why I'm using it as we go. Let's read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, <clears throat> who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, <clears throat> of the throne of God. For consider him the cross, despising the shame, he had sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, excuse me, uh, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The reason I started with this uh, uh, illustrations, because also says in First Peter five six through seven. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you in due time. Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. 
If we will let go and trust God and let God move in our lives, if we'll cast our cares upon Him, He will move and He will bring hope for the hurting heart. We need to lay our burdens upon Jesus. You know, that is an easy thing to say to someone else, isn't it? Have you ever talked to someone and they're going through a hard time and we can very easily sometimes, hey, cast your cares upon Jesus. But what about when it's us? right? Many times, those of us who dole out that medicine, we don't like to receive it. It's kind of like, the, you know, you have that nasty medicine, you know it's good for you, but you, you give it to other people, but you don't want to take it. You know, Robitussin, my wife has this homemade medicine. It scares everything off. It's scary. It'll probably deliver people to demons. It's that foul. I mean, you're, you know, I drink it, and it's like, there's no, no sickness in you after you have this because it will scare it off. It's so vile. And many times when we hear something godly that we know we need to have, we don't apply it many times to ourselves. Amen? As a way of introduction, I want to set before you two questions to ponder throughout this sermon as we look at some things tonight. One, how do you let go of guilt of something that you've held on to, something deep in your life, or perhaps something has glommed onto you most of your life. Secondly, how do you let go of hurts, resentment, violations caused to you by others that still affect you to this day, perhaps? You need to ponder that, and I want to bring some hope and encouragement tonight. The first thing I'm going to look at is Hope for the herder. Listen, the truth of the matter is this. We need to be honest. We have all sinned against God. I know this is basic. This is elementary, but sometimes we forget that. Amen? Sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, we forget how bad we used to be. You know, there's that, that age-old question many people say is, why do bad things happen to good people? That's not a good question. It really ought to be, why do good things happen to bad people, because we're all bad. We just don't like to think of ourselves as that way. Now, thank God, yes, He does save us. He cleans us up. But we must be brutally honest that we all have sinned against God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and that we have had and experienced the weight of sin that shouted out and condemned us. And listen, if you're like me, who thought yourself a good person before you were saved, the solution many times is, thank you, brother, Oh, glory to God, you're the man. Um, the solution is, well, I'll go do something extra good. What we think is extra good, right? I'll go help 100 old ladies across the street to try to cover up or weigh, the, the, in our mind, the, the scales of justice. And it doesn't work because you can't take back the things you've done, the things you've thought, the things you said that are sinful. It's impossible to erase our sins. Only God can. It says in Hebrews 12.1, our text says, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Sin is a weight that weighs us down. We're in a race of life to heaven, but if we're not careful, there's things that will shackle and drag us down. The Bible says we need to, lay those, we need to put those aside and not go back to them. Not let them reattach themselves to our lives, our minds, our spirit, our hearts. These are things that keep us from advancing and they cannot be ignored. They must be dealt with. 
Because this is the problem with sin. It destroys everything it touches. And you can't handle it. You can't handle it. I say that and repeat it because so many times we have convinced ourselves into thinking, I can handle this little sin. In children's church years ago, we did this little skit where someone got a little sin. It was like a cute little pet. We made a little puppet for it. But the problem is this, the more that character sinned, the bigger the thing got, the bigger thing. That, and it was this huge, nasty, amoeba-looking thing that just engulfed the whole puppet. And it was, that is a picture of sin. Cain is warned by God, says, Cain, sin lies at your door and it wants to devour you. It doesn't want to nibble on you. It doesn't want part of your life. Destroy completely everything while you're having the pleasure of it. Because yes, sin is pleasurable, but for a season. We're all sinners, and if you deny that you're a sinner, you're a liar. First, that's right, you're a liar. The Bible says this, 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. See, but our problem is we tend to demand judgment of sins committed against us, not the ones we commit. Amen? Have you ever got so infuriated by someone else's sin that you wanted your piece of flesh? Huh? Now! Now! And I want to be part of it too! We have to look to the Word of God and not compare ourselves to ourselves or to others, but to what God says. This is the mirror. This is the standard for something is right or wrong. Not your feelings. Not what your mama said. This. Unless your mama is saying what the Bible says. We also have to understand, and again, this is basic, but we tend to get incensed about it. Sinners sin. <gasps> you know, you ever get saved for a while? And then someone does something to you and you're just super... I mean, now listen, we shouldn't be pleased for sin. Don't get me wrong. But we shouldn't be too shocked by it either. Right? Because sinners sin. And sinners sin against other sinners and against us. And the only solution is forgiveness. And it's not cheap. Jesus gave His all as a ransom for us. Now listen, forgiveness does not reduce the grievousness of that violation of that sin. Forgiveness of others when we forgive. It doesn't mean that God finds that sin as a light thing. That it's an oopsie. Amen? Now let's be honest. In our minds sometimes, our sin is an oopsie. Huh? Right? But in others, oh no, that's a colossal violation. They meant to do that. They were planning that from the day they woke up. Or the hour they woke up against me. We demand justice. We seek to get even. We tend not to see the double standard we employ. And anyone who disagrees with us becomes the enemy. Right? Maybe explain to them, well, you just don't understand. I'm so sick of hearing that. <laughs> I've heard that so many times over the decades that I just turn my brain off when they start going with that. Because it's just a lame excuse. Listen, listen, listen. God takes all sin seriously. That's why He sent Jesus. And it is not acceptable or understandable to Him. He doesn't wink at it. When we sin against others, you know what we should do? 
Repent ASAP. Don't wait. Don't wait to Wednesday night church service if you sin against someone on Monday. When you are convicted, deal with it then. Make it right with them. Ask them to forgive you. It is not just enough to go to God in secret and, and oh God, I did this against this person. Please forgive. No, because you know what? When you sin against someone, you violated a relationship with that person. You look at the Ten Commandments, what's interesting about it is it is all about a violation of relationship. All ten of them. Whether it's against God or against another person. It's all a violation of relationship in one way, shape, or form that points to how bad we need Jesus. Sin against a person is more than just an action. It can be an attitude, evil thought, or words, or even tone directed at a person. And listen, let me throw this in there. If the person that you have wronged is unsaved, you should still ask for forgiveness. You should still, but they're not saved. You really should ask for forgiveness if you sinned against them because it's right. And when we ask for forgiveness from somebody, we need to be specific. We shouldn't act like a kid. You know, your, your kids fight. Go say you're sorry. God's going to forgive you. What? What? You're not sorry. You're not forgiven. We learned with our kids with that attitude to humble them, to discipline them, to try to get them to the right place. Is you go to that person that you wronged. You look them eyeball to eyeball. Not at your feet. You talk clearly with your voice and say, please forgive me for the offense. Yes, I want them to feel it. And when we are wrong and we ask someone to forgive us of something, we should feel it. And listen, it's up to them if they're going to forgive you. We hate that, don't we? We think that if we can... Summon up and humble ourselves. They ought to leave. And yeah, they should forgive you. But if they're, what if they're a sinner? And they don't because they're a sinner. You can be all bitter. Tell the whole church about how righteous you were. Huh? You feel wrong? That's up to that person. Because you, if you sin against someone, are the person who needs to ask the forgiveness. It's up to them to give it. Don't give a, a cheap, insincere, I'm sorry, the way kids do, because there's nothing that is resolved about that, and the hurt and the violation remains. Second thing I want to look at is hope for the hurting. Listen, forgiveness is God's idea. I want to give a quick working definition of forgiveness to make sure we're clear about this. It means to give up resentment or a claim for restitution or revenge. It means to grant relief from payment or a debt owed to cease to feel resentment against an offender. And listen, it is not an easy thing. I know that. I am not saying that. It takes a miracle of God for some people to be able to forgive because of a violation or hurt. But it is a necessary aspect of a Christian. Listen, you can't call yourself a Christian if you're not going to forgive. Can't. It's, it's in the, the fiber. It's in the thing. Forgiveness, this is what it does. It protects and heals 
the person who's hurt from further hurt by the poison of bitterness. It also extends grace and opens the sinner's eyes up to Jesus. When you forgive someone and they know they're wrong, when you're extending grace, you're acting just like Jesus did. It says in Colossians 3.13, bearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. There's no wiggle room in that verse. There's no out for that. Well, but what about... No, 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 no. You must. You must. For your own sake. And also for... They. Listen, if you're talking about someone who's, who's not saved, they are in a world of hurt far more than you and I. Because if their heart stops, they're going to hell. But what they did was so... If their heart stops, they're going to be burning for eternity. There's people we know that are there tonight. Now... Maybe we had an attitude. Maybe, maybe we didn't forgive, ask them to forgive us. They're in hell now. They don't have another chance. This is how serious this is. And yes, I understand that's their choice. They have to choose Jesus. But do we help them along by our bad example, by not forgiving? It says in Hebrews 12, 15, Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, the, the, the thought here of this word, root of bitterness, the Israelites, they, whenever a plant had poison in it, they would call that plant a bitter. The more poison in it, the more bitter it was. And if you ate it, it would, at the, the, the least, disturb your digestive system, maybe make you feel bad or sick. At the worst, it could kill you. Possibly give you long-term damage in your body. You ever had food poisoning? Oh, I remember the worst thing I ever had in Germany one time. Five to seven days, food poisoning. Got it in the mess hall. They didn't cook something there, and I ate it. I was making lying promises to God every day, all day. I'm serious. I was making, I was lying. Oh, God, I'll be good. I'll just, please don't kill me. Don't be dead. You know what? I lied because I didn't change after I was sick. But my whole body, my thought, everything was invested in what was going on because of this food poisoning. And the same thing happens when we have a root of bitterness. It undermines our ability to properly hear the Word of God. Not just hear the Word of God, but to process it in our mind, in our emotion, in our heart. It tweaks it. It, it puts a dark filter, of, a poisonous filter where we don't hear the truth of not just what God says, but what other people say. Amen? Because there's a, a warping feature to this thing. It renders you unwilling or unable to properly process things. It poisons the mind and the spirit of a person. We recently spoke to someone we've known for years. They're not around here. And we're, we're trying to help this person along. They're going through a hard thing. But they're bitter. They're filled with resentment for their children, for other people, the church, all this different stuff. We're hearing this person say things you would only hear to someone you're witnessing to on the street. And we were shocked. We were agog because this was not the person we knew. It was because a root of bitterness had come into the... Her, this person's life and poison them 
down to their heart to where they thought they were okay, but at the same time they were saying, yeah, they need to repent, but not now. It was a wicked, wicked thing to behold. And it, the, this person's spirit was twisted. They weren't like they used to be. But listen, forgiveness is what we need to do. And we need to do it Jesus' way. Amen? The Bible gives us examples and says in Hebrews 12, 2-3, looking unto Jesus, that He is the example we need to follow for forgiveness. Consider Him who endured hostility from sinners against Him. Listen, He endured my hostility against Him when I was a sinner. He endured your hostility against Him when you were a sinner. We need to be like Him and consider Jesus when we have been wronged. Because if we don't, what happens is we become weary and discouraged in our souls. Amen? We start looking askance at people and, and have a bad view of people. And instead of being merciful, we become hard-hearted. And we have to learn to forgive the way Jesus wants us to, not the way we want to. Amen? It says in Luke 23, uh, 34, here it is. Jesus has been gone through the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin. He's gone through Roman justice of Pontius Pilate. He's on the cross with two of the thieves, and even one of those guys is mocking him. And what does he say? Father, kill them all! No. He says, Father, forgive them. All of them there that day. Even us. They don't know what they're doing. They're, the, the ignorant sin has blinded them. They're ignorant. They have no clue what the, their sin has done. Amen? Father, forgive them. You know, we should strive to say the same thing. To be merciful to forgive, even if it's undeserved. Because we didn't deserve it. It says in Mark 11.25, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, man, Bibles mean sometimes, right? Could, couldn't God give it? No, He don't give us an out. If you have anything against anyone, forgive Him that your Father in Heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. You mean the person who hurt me on purpose? They plotted. They planned. They know me. Per and they Anyone. That's why I said we need Jesus to help us forgive, man. We need the power of God. We need to be changed so we can forgive. So many people, they focus on, oh, being a Christian is just full of thou shalt not. Listen, here's something that's powerful that we should do, that we get to do, that I could never do as a sinner, is forgive. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to forgive. Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Listen, our forgiveness of others is linked to our own forgiveness to God. We're told we have to take the first step to reconcile. In other words, you don't wait to be approached. Don't, that's how we do it, don't we? Well, I forgive them. They didn't come to me first. See this in marriage all the time, don't you? couple has a fight. Here is at night, both in the same bed, not talking to each other. Right? Back to back, not touching each other, trying the best they can. You know, one person 
turns and rustles and the other one thinks, okay, this is it. They're going to say it. And no, they turn around and snore. What? You have to sleep? You are wrong. You're so safe. Give. Don't, don't act like you haven't done that. And, and listen, uh, sheathe your sharp elbows, spouses. Okay? I know some of you get them razor. Like, you know, you get like a spike that comes up. Nah, that's not fair. Man, it's quiet in here. They're the one who wronged me. Why should I ask them to? Because Jesus said so. Because being a peacemaker means that you and I have to take that initiative to repair the relationship first. Even if you were the person who was wrong. Golly, we don't like that, do we? We don't think that's fair. It's not fair. I taught my kids to say, parents, let me give you a freebie. Eliminate that phrase from your kids' vocabulary. It's not fair. The world's not fair. Because <laughs> sinners sin. But God is good and He's just. See, we're told that we have to take the first steps to reconcile. Amen? To swallow our pride. To ask them to forgive us even if we didn't do anything wrong. Now, that doesn't sound logical, right? Because again, what do we want? We want them to be humbled and make it right first. I want to ask you, is your relationship with that person more important than getting them on record on who's right and wrong? You know, I'm pulling out your cell phone where you keep the scoreboard. I won again. I was right. You know, you can be right and wrong at the same time. Listen, it's not your job or my job to convict that person in the first place and to make them ask forgiveness. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Let, let that be up to Him. Because listen, let's be honest. Would we want that person to do that to us? Huh? Because we have ways to manipulate that, don't we? Right? For women many times, they bring up ancient history. Because they remember what we forget. For guys, we do the silent treatment. Right? Or forget and act like we didn't do anything wrong. Which gets them even angrier. That's manipulation to try to get them to do what we want. Let's be honest. It, just, it is. That's wrong. Listen, there, I want to give you some hope. There's healing that comes through forgiveness. There's freedom that comes when you and I choose to forgive. See, when we live a lifestyle of forgiveness, what it does is establishes a free flow of God's grace from God to you. Amen? Sometimes healing of hurts is, is instant. Amen? God applies that balm of Gilead. At other times, it is a process. And, and sometimes... Honestly, it can be a painful process. It's kind of like if you ever had a third-degree burn. You go to a burn ward. It's horrid, horrid, horrid. Where someone's in an oxygen tent and they have third-degree burns and what they have to do is they have to keep that person's body pristinely clean from anything that would invade it and cause infection. Then they have to debride. Am I debride? Debride. In other words, scrape or cut away dead or infected tissue. 
That's horribly painful until tissue gets healed. Healthy tissue is formed. And many times that's what happens when we have to forgive others. Sometimes it's a daily process. Sometimes if the hurt is recent, it's an hourly process. But you can't stop if you want to be completely healed and made whole and allow God to touch you. There was a time in my life where I had a best friend. I mean, we were tight. We were close. One of my running brothers, when I was a new convert, go out street preaching with all this. And serious violation hurt me deep, 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 deep. You know? Went to my pastor about it and stuff. And he's, well, you need to forgive him. And I went, all the things I told you guys, I experienced and said and thought in my mind. Why do I have to forgive? He did all of that. So I go over to the guy's house. Comes in the vehicle, Matt. Say, hey, man, I need to have a word with you. He knew what he did was wrong. He goes, he started talking. I said, shut up. Sit down there. Listen to me. I forgive you. And then we sat in silence for about 20 minutes to 30 minutes. I forgave him with my words, but not in my heart. Months go on. I'm in ministry, y'all. Serving God with this in me, around my life. To one service, he answers an altar call for salvation. I look up to see who's going to pray with him. My pastor calls me by name out. Would you come and pray with... You know the deal. You know the... I didn't want to. I, everything in me did not want to go and pray. Can I pray with it? I'll pray with the demoniac. Can we get a demoniac here? I'll pray with that dude. Walk down. Pray with him. And you know what? I think praying with him helped me more than did him. Because in a process of time, he wouldn't repent fully of his sin. But God healed me. And help me. And there's no way I could be here telling you about this if he had not done that. But it wasn't easy. And I had to have the grace and the power of God to help me to do that. And it took time for that healing from that violation to occur. Sadly, our relationship never, never was the same. But it wasn't because I didn't want it to be. You know, that's the thing that's hard. People have choices. Amen? Pastor Campbell's some pretty... They make decisions. Sometimes they make bad decisions and it affects things and destroys things. It says in Matthew 5.23, Therefore bring your gift to the altar. Remember, uh, there remember your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Here it is. Think of this. Jesus says, repairing your relationship with the brother who you remember there's a problem in your relationship is more important than you giving an offering. What? That doesn't compute in our mind, does it? That's how serious Jesus considers forgiveness and repairing relationship. Listen, if you find it's difficult to forgive because of the seriousness of sin against you, then you need to ask yourself. This is what my pastor at the time asked me during that. I'll never forget it. He shut me up like that. Because I didn't want to go over to the guy's house. He said, 
Who did he sin against first, Wayne? Oh. Who did he sin against worse, Wayne? Jesus. What? Jesus. All right, so what are you going to do? He didn't let me out, man. He didn't let me out. That's what you have to ask yourself. Who was the sin against first and worst? Who's the one who died for that person? It wasn't you or I. It was Jesus. Amen? See, now let me say this before I close. I know there are circumstances in life where you're not going to be able to go to that person who sinned against you and violated you. Maybe they died, right? Maybe it's not safe for you to do that, or you're not safe for your family. I understand that. Maybe you do not have contact with them, and, any, and there's no way to get contact with them. May I make a suggestion to you? Maybe journal that, what you're thinking, your forgiveness. Write a forgiveness letter and read it aloud to God. It's not for them. It's for you. Because again, the root of bitterness will rot you and warp you and make you into something you don't want to be. It will block the blessing of God. It will keep physical healing from coming into your body. Because there's a link. Amen? If you can't sleep at night, there's people here, you have not been able to sleep at night. You've been having anxiety. You've been having headaches and no peace of mind. Could it be because there's someone you need to forgive? You think by holding on to this, it's going to somehow affect them and make them feel... They're clueless. If they're dead, they're, they're beyond anything you can do. Amen? Why are you going to continue to let their sin, their violation, live in you? Torment you? Affect you? Because listen, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your relationship with your spouse, with friends, with children. It affects your ability to make friends and relationships with others. Because what happens is you decide not to trust anybody. You paint the whole world with the brush of, well, that person, these people did that to me, so no one can be trusted. And that's just not true. There are trustworthy people. You have to maybe look and see that they've proven themselves to be trustworthy. Amen? But you can find them and trust them again. Amen? You know, it's wicked and it's sad that we live in an age where people are violated by those who should have nurtured and protected you. And I understand that happens. And it's wicked, and I can't stand it. I can't even read articles when kids are involved in that. I just can't. I see a headline like that, it's like, nope. I, I, no, can't read that. But what happens is this. You have to forgive, because it's, it's kind of like electricity. Have you ever held on to a live wire? What happens in the physical is that electricity, the thing you're holding on to, contracts your muscles and you are squeezing tight to the thing that's killing you. When I was in the army, we worked on a track and some of this, this vehicle had, uh, uh, when we were in the shop thing, we had these big, 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 huge slave cables. Sometimes we had to jump one part of a vehicle to another. And so there was a, a danger of electricity. And we had this huge, huge, huge long wood pole that was like a huge cane, okay? And what that was for was, if someone was getting zapped, 
We take that wood cane and we pull them away from the thing. Because if we touch them and they're going to electrocute it, then we die also. Or be injured. Because your muscles will contract. You have to let go of the thing that's killing you. You have to forgive. It, because if you don't in time, it'll kill something in you. Amen. I want to close. There was an event that occurred several years ago in South Africa. This was after the end of apartheid. And there was a 70-year-old woman who was there in court. And she was frail and, and old, had, had a hard life. And she was facing across this courtroom several white security police officers, one of them whose name was Mr. Vanderburk. And they had just been tried and found implicated in the murders of both this woman's son and her husband years before. This Vanderbrook and these police officers went to this woman's home, take her son out, and shot him at point-blank range. And then burned his body. And while they're burning his body, they're partying. They confessed to this. They gave confession to this that they've done this in court. Well, it, if that wasn't bad enough to add insults to injury several years after that event, Vanderbrook and his cohorts returned to her house, took her husband away. Months she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then two years after her husband's disappearance, Vanderbrook comes and gets her, pulls her out of her house. She says she vividly remembered that evening going to a place besides a river where she was so, shown her husband who had been bound and beaten lying on a pile of wood. Still alive. The last words from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him aflame were, Father, forgive them. The same thing Jesus said. So here it is, a woman stands in a courtroom. She's heard all the things these guys have said they've done. The tribunal there, the judge turns to her and says, So, what do you want? What do you want done to this man and those who had so brutally destroyed your family? She says, I want three things. First, I want to be taken where my husband's body was buried so I can gather his remains and give him a proper burial. Second, my husband and my son, they were my only family. Therefore, I want Mr. Vanderbilt to become my son. I would like to come twice a month to the ghetto where I live Spend a day with me so that I can pour on him whatever love I have left on him. Finally, she says, the third thing, and this is, is what I believe the wish of my husband would be, is I would kindly ask someone to come to my side, lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbilt in my arms and embrace him and let him know that he's truly forgiven. The court assistants came, they led the elderly woman across the room to where Vanderbrook was, and he is so overwhelmed, he faints. Now in this courtroom are other people, friends and family and neighbors that were also persecuted just as evilly as she was. And what do they do? Do they shout for this man's death? Do they start kicking him? No. They, start, start, they just start singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is the forgiveness that brings healing 
that brings hope to the hurting heart. This woman who was hurt so grievously repeatedly found grace through Jesus to forgive. And because of her actions, her past had no authority over her future. She didn't allow the pain of the past to poison her attitude. Instead, her attitude gave glory to God. You know, I believe it's God's will as I close that we all be, learn to be slow to speak and slow to anger, but quick to hear and show mercy because that's where healing comes for the hurting heart. If you'd bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking around, let God touch you tonight. You're here.